Greetings, future fossils. I'm Michael Garfield, welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. Right now, on February 15th, recording this, our place in time is immediately following a partial solar eclipse. And the thoughts of transformation and cardinal life changes are on my mind as they have been for some time. I recorded today's conversation with Jamaica Stevens back in January, and it is as true now as it was then. At least the topic of personal transformation is because Jamaica was this show's first pregnant guest, and she quite likely has that baby now outside of her and newly drafted into that great game all of us are playing. If you are like I am, going through a period of deep consideration and evaluation, making careful steps into a new life for yourself, or you are struggling to make a shift, that seems like everybody these days And that means that all of you will find some resonance with this extraordinary conversation with a woman who's been an empowering and inspiring figure in my life for many years and whose wisdom I'm delighted that I get to share with you today. But first, I'd like to thank the three new people who have rated and reviewed this show on iTunes. guess it's Apple Podcasts now. But anyway, whatever you might call it, leaving a review for Future Fossils is a hugely helpful deed that helps me get this show into the ears of our new listeners and bring new minds into the conversation. I think of podcasts as a kind of sacred task. A calling that I take on in the spirit of what Episode 8's guest Kingsley Dennis calls the new monasticism. A globe encircling and completely centerless renaissance devoted to articulating a sustainable postmodern world in which there is no conflict between art and science and our spiritual practice. Building a new cosmopolitan cathedral out of secular pursuits like this one, this monastic work regards all cultural inheritance as precious and acknowledges the task of packaging our moments, this era's wisdom, as an offering to unborn generations, as a way of helping them relate and understand to where they've come from, and to help revive, in new and better ways, the lost traditions of intergenerational wisdom transmission that define us as a species. So if and when you find yourself assigning five stars to this podcast, you can think back on this and remember that you're helping an unknown and possibly large quantity of strangers benefit from this show just like you do. So, thank you so much. Also, thank you to the five new Patreon supporters this week. Way to go, guys. Super appreciate it. Lee Heller, Andrew Waite, Upped Your Pledge, Nicholas Scarf, Christopher Brown, and Liddy Lev Cohen. All of you are now part of the inner circle. 
and have access to a ton of unreleased and secret episodes, original music that embodies both the theme and flavor of this show by bridging past and future in the nexus I call cyber acoustic guitar excerpts and unreleased chapters from my upcoming book and much much more go to patreon.com slash michael garfield for more other totally no strings attached gifts than is really reasonable for me as an artist to provide you but enjoy and enjoy this awesome conversation with village building and post-academic learning expert my dear friend jamaica stevens You lead the way, and I'll just try to follow along. Okay. Wherever we go, let's go there. All right. Welcome on board, Jamaica. You're way overdue to be on this show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your insistence. Yeah, well, you know, as a Capricorn, I am notedly determined. So, and you, and you are too, and, and uh, our birthdays are only five days apart, so yay. Anyway, there's a couple things swirling around right now. Before we were uh, recording on this call, we were both talking about all the change and tra- emotional work that we and so many of the people we know are, are going through lately. And then also the fact that you are seven and a half months pregnant is a huge piece. You know, I don't think, I think you may actually be the, the, the first pregnant guest of Future Fossils, which is great. This is good. This is juicy territory. Yeah. Pregnant fossils are actually really rare. Uh, you know, you get every once in a while, you'll get like the, um, that, that marine reptile that they found in England that looks like a dolphin, the ichthyosaurus, and it had a yeah. little bit, it was giving birth to a little one uh, when it got yeah. preserved. So it's like halfway Remarkable. out. Yeah. But so that's oh kind of God. like what's going on right now. Anyway. That's actually exactly, that's a great metaphor for what's going on right now, friend. It is halfway out. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, why don't, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we start there? Why don't we talk about, I mean, for people who don't know you, one of the things I find so fascinating about you is that you are such a an intelligent, organized, rigorous, leader-oriented kind of a person, but that you're also capable of speaking in these very, like, flowery, spiritual kind <laughs> of ways that, you know, you're speaking from a, from a place of, like, oracular authority, but mm. but then you're like getting on a spreadsheet and it's just and like managing conference calls and web seminars and shit so i encourage our listeners to hold that that Mm. balance in in listening to you and and like yeah so i don't know you want to start with a a rundown of where you think we are right now as a as a species and and what we're cut out to do (laughs) or do you want to start where where you're feeling it in your life yeah no, let's dive into the deep end. I'm boring. We'll get around to May, but wow, yeah, where are we? We are, we are halfway in and out, my friend. I think that is a really beautiful metaphor. I just feel, um, gosh, I just feel so humbled and also um, keenly aware of these transformative times we're in, and almost this like, um, oh, this is really happening. 
this like preparation of sensing something on the horizon and it's an impending and it feels giant. And I just feel like there was so much coming together of community and potential and, and just kind of feeling like we were in those waters and it was tumultuous, but it was also exciting and enlivening. And then, and then I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of coming together of people of like-mindedness and the gathering and the convening. And then I feel like the true humility that it requires to become a really human human of watching people I know just get their ass kicked for the last couple of years. And then and like co- collectively, culturally, societally, and, and species-wide just getting our ass kicked. I don't think that that ever wasn't the case, but I think there's a particular um, veil lifting awareness and, and like, here it is like, there's no more hiding under the rug. It is here, this collective birth process. And I'll tell you from being a mother once and about to be mother again, birth is not like pretty. It's not, it's not (laughs) rainbows and fucking unicorns. It's static. And it's, it's the, one of the most profound experiences, but it is also right at the edge of life and death. It is the gate. It is the chaos that creates new order. You know, it is the rite of passage that that all of us take and then pass back through. And there's something so um, primal and cosmic at the same time about it, that um, it is it is and will transform you. And I think that's um, where I feel us. We're like, we're, we're in this process of a rebirth of the evolution and consciousness of humanity and of this planet as, as organisms of this planet evolving and therefore the planet also evolving. And I just feel like this pressure point of a moment where it's like, this is that time and this is what's happening, but we're not out yet. I don't feel like we're in the, the new territory. I feel like we're in the liminal we're in between the worlds of what has been and everything we've known and maybe a comfortable womb space. But then there comes a time where it becomes uncomfortable because it's time to be born into something else. And so life has this great mechanism for saying, yep, now's the time. And it is not a comfortable process to be born. And yet there you are. And the liberation that comes through as you come through into a new space and a new potential and a whole new life is both daunting and tremendous and glorious and precious and I feel us kind of in that halfway state and the pressure of the moment that's kind of the forces asking us to transform we cannot stay in the status that we were and we aren't yet fully into this new status and when we are we'll be green and new and vulnerable and learning and it's humbling and yet we have this incredible capacity and it's it's written into life and to our code so that's where I think we are as a like starting place is I think we're in the transition from one state of being into another. And and I love the Nietzsche quote, although sometimes I think he can be a bastard. I love Nietzsche <laughs> when he says, he says, one must have chaos within oneself in order to give birth to a dancing star. We have to ride the chaotic process of change and transformation in order to come into new order. But it's okay to acknowledge like this is really confronting and uncomfortable for, for most of us. So I remember about a year ago when... 45 was about to take office and Bruce Damer was campaigning for Cal exit. And Mm -hmm. for the last year or so, it has felt very much alive in me, this question of can the United States, and you know, I, I tend to see things in this hologram 
you know, mm-hmm. where what's going on in the news reflects what's going on in our entertainment media in ho- in the contents of our stories that we project into Hollywood. It's going on in our individual hearts and our private triumphs mm-hmm. and tribulations. And so I look at, you know, the, the division of the American people and I see it's this other question writ large, which is, can we break up and stay friends? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's this thing of we're no longer operating mm-hmm. under the illusion that we all agree. Mm-hmm. For a, a very long time, the human species was sort of allowing itself to believe, okay, our little group is right. Everybody else is out of their minds. And, mm-hmm. you know, and but now the group, the functional group level that is that we need to cohere is far, far larger than our ability to actually agree on details. Mm-hmm. And so the question is like, how can we remain as a, mm-hmm. at a planet scale? How can we how can we keep a sort of cohesion and ecological integrity mm-hmm. while being like, you know what? I still think you're fucking nuts and I'm mm-hmm. going to go live over here now. And like mm-hmm. this, this question of, you know, <laughs> being one of um, a huge generation of people that grew up in, in um, d- the families of divorce, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, my mom is constantly apologizing to me for not offering me a better model for how, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, look, look, it's, it's, it's not your, you know, it's, it's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. No, it's a generation of it's, us. That, yeah. That it's mom. just the whole thing. But, mm-hmm. but I do think that, you know, what that means is that like, I don't really have a clear idea for mm-hmm. like when, when one of my friends recently published that their beautiful, loving couple had split up and that they remain in, they were going to remain best friends and that they were going to stay in each other's lives and continue operating a business together and raise mm-hmm. their kids together and do all this stuff and that they were going to parties together and stuff and yet they were just not husband and wife anymore and mm-hmm. i was I, I immediately i was like how did you do this because mm-hmm. if i can understand how you did this then i can i feel like i have insight into like one of the most pressing sort mm-hmm. of emotional and also political questions of our time so mm-hmm. It's such a great question. And it's such a, um, it's such a theme that's up in the body of work that, you know, re-inhabiting the village, this body of work, this dialogue, this narrative of culture, this narrative of um, modern culture, and how do we connect it to ancient wisdom? And, and, and how do we actually become interdependent again with the separate nation states, and incredible violence and oppression, and righteousness of belief and fundamentalism and distinction and diversity? How do we inhabit not only a village of people, just in our own bioregion, but how would we even begin to really engage, um, you know, Marshall McQuinn's, um the the global village? How, what is the global village in a time like this with such separation and distinction? And yet, with the advent of internet, more connection than any any generation of humans have ever had, more access to information, you know, whether it's misinformation or information, 
that and and perspective and awareness of the impact we have on each other and and the distinction between us a lot of the project and a lot of i think my life's work is so what are those cultural threads that weave us back together how do we weave coherence this is a really great word while also honoring distinction and that both and that paradox feels like it's really up right now and it feels like it's up in the world but it's really up in the united states and the idea of the american dream we can i think we can finally say like that dream has popped the bubble popped it's crumbled and it doesn't exist and even the dream of the west the idea of this just extravagance and infinite resources and you know opulence that then is on the backs that oppresses many many people that can't get shoved under the rug anymore and and those dynamics of oppression and subjugation and power differentiations can't stay under the rug anymore. We are now at a time where all of that is finally coming out. And so it seems really chaotic to people maybe who've had a blind eye or a limited vantage point or perspective. It's sort of like, whoa, what's going on? And everything's in chaos. I would say this has been happening, churning underneath us as a shadowy aspect for a very long time. And the confronting part is finally facing it and having the maturity to look at these questions you're asking around how do we find any semblance of coherence or cooperation in a time that is finally showcasing just how divided these strata already are of, of people's experience of life? And, and it's all of those. It's socioeconomic differences. It's racial injustice. It's oppression of women. It's, you know, it's oppression of the environment and the living community of things that we've just taken advantage of for time. And it is really confronting. I don't think there's one answer. But I think what we can do right now is we can look to best practices for how we can influence where we do have the capacity to start a new story that includes and transcends the idea of a hero's journey, that there's these like a very personal individual journey, you know, that you go out and face the challenges of the world and you have allies that show up and you have foes that show up and you have to kind of rise to this pinnacle of this great challenge. And then, you know, usually we tell the story, then there's this triumphant moment where the hero is like, victorious we love that story and so we keep playing it out over and over again but i feel like we're at a collective rite of passage moment where it's time to actually ripen and mature and realize that the hero's journey takes us to a point where we're either going to keep perpetuating war and the oppressor and the protagonist and antagonist the the victim and the persecutor we're going to keep playing out this idea of the savior and the hero or we're going to go, what happens when the hero has fulfilled that level of its growth and then returns to then bring that wisdom back to something that builds a legacy for other people, becomes the mentor, becomes one which is actually in stewardship of building something with that knowledge and experience that it gained through all those hard efforts and say, I'm going to do something now that like leaves a legacy of something better for other people. And they'll have to have their journey but their potential with my wisdom intact can grow something greater than and, and they'll surpass me their hero's quest would be far surpass me because they have my shoulders to stand on and i feel like this is a ripe moment for some deep 
hardcore maturation of us looking at the fact that we cannot just take and extract. We cannot oppress people. Violence will continue as long as there's poverty and injustice. We aren't using our resources wisely and we're not distributing them well because everyone has enough resources to be cared for, but not if a lot of people take them for themselves at the behest of another. And so I think that there's this sort of spiritual and emotional maturity that has to happen and kind of is in the process of happening where we go, we cannot turn a blind eye any longer to the atrocities of the world. We can't pretend like we're not responsible, essentially. We can't go off and out somewhere else to conquer something else and stop looking to our own inner self and our own inner landscape and in our most immediate relationships and where we have power, where we can act, where we can make change and influence things in a positive direction. And I think that only when we start embracing the responsibility of self and true accountability to, to get into the shadow of our own like beauty and tragedy and really get into our own woundedness and our limitation and our, and, and get into our healing on a personal level and then start to work that on a like interpersonal and community level and learn better skills and tools for navigating conflict instead of avoiding conflict or, or confronting with this violence. It's like they're either avoid it's, it's fight or flight, we have learned fight or flight, and that is still a very primal instinct versus pause and respond. You know, like stop, drop, and roll, people. Like put the fire out, you know, bring a little water, go slow, breathe deep, own your shit, see another, and, and find the connection of, of this incredible humanity that we all have, the empathy. It's, it's a growing compassion of agape love. You know, it's growing the capacity to be empathetic and see and connect to another, not as a separate thing, as an idea, but as another human, because you've humbled yourself enough to see your own flaws and failures. But the cooperative, the idea of cooperative leadership, I think is, your question is, so we're on a global scale. I think when we practice these things within our own self and we begin to practice better tools and capacities with each other and we practice it in our communities and we create sort of bioregional nodal coherence of groups of people learning to like work through your shit, engage restorative circles and restorative justice, like sit in the fire of the uncomfort and learn to start respecting each other. Even if you don't agree, learn to start honoring that we all have a place and how do we stay curious and open to hearing each other and realize we have to find a way together because it's the only way that any one of us will move forward is if we find a way together starting on small scale then I see that like that's popping up in multiple places and so it isn't about one big global kumbaya but it certainly is about finding those coherent places and it's happening all around the world there are people who are remembering the idea of community and connection and interdependence and village and how do we support each other in that great effort on a personal interpersonal and local scale at a global rate at a global context, you know? Mm. Yeah. It seems like when I zoom my own, you know, you're not supposed to do this, right? You're not supposed to just project your personal situation onto the, the whole world at large, but none of us can help doing yeah, that do at the same time. <laughs> so if I extrapolate as it seems so often that, you know, my own private struggles are actually a, a sort of like secret theater of you know, like the camera obscura with a pinhole in which the entire world is represented inside mm -hmm. the box, right? Mm -hmm. And just just blurry and upside down. So if I <laughs> if I if I like sharpen it and reverse it, 
through mm-hmm. the lens of my Facebook news feed and I see everything else that mm-hmm. everyone else is going mm-hmm. through and it you know the the um admittedly self-reinforcing algorithmic dimension of that but at any rate what I see is this massive process of mm-hmm. self-forgiveness required mm-hmm. to release ourselves from the stories that we have been devoted to for so long and the stories that we know are no longer adequate to the the work. And I'm curious how you see the process of letting go of a dream or a vision as part of this. It's like, it's, it seems more than it being about approaching one another with humility mm-hmm. and being willing to listen to to each other it's it's also this part of like dealing with the the frustration or the discouragement or the the outright despair that mm-hmm. we've been on this particular path for as long as we have been mm-hmm. and now it's the music has changed mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it's like time to dance to a different tune now Yes, it is, friend. Yeah, we got into this last night in that we're doing an online, an eight-week um, online live interactive Reinhead in the Village course. And this is fascinating. We're t- talking about the state because it's definitely what came up last night. And the conversation around really confronting and facing and and learning to navigate grief. And we're talking like ancestral grief. We're talking like the grief from being disconnected from place long, long, long ago. We're talking about the grief of the atrocities that humans have perpetuated in the name of like, you know, conquering for so long. We're talking about the grief of sort of facing uh, generations and generations and generations of unprocessed trauma. And then our generation waking itself up, you know, the last few generations slowly going, okay, awaken to consciousness, see a worldview, you know, like engage this kind of the new age breakthrough from the dream of the 50s to the like revolution of the 60s, it did catalyze a very different mentality and consciousness. And now our technology has just advanced that so rapidly that I actually think we're almost reeling from this level of access to, to consciousness and potential awareness. And I feel strongly like, yeah, like there is a kind of a reckoning, the kind of like, okay, like everything that has been from human history until now, like is, is apexing in the generation on the planet as we speak. And I don't mean our generation versus like our parents or our children. I mean, the generation on the planet right now is facing and confronting the apex of a crossroads that is unavoidable. And you can have all the rhetoric you want and you don't have to believe anything I believe to see it so clearly that we are in a time of great transformation and change that we don't know the outcome of. And the dauntedness of we don't know the outcome, meeting the responsibility of we're the only ones who can determine the outcome, is also hitting this like unprocessed generational ancestral grief that's just handed down from from parent to child, from parent to child over and over again. And a lot of us are in that deep question of where do we come from? Where do we belong? What is our family history? What is the the narrative in our own families, but then what is the narrative in our society and what is the narrative in our species that now we're facing going, that story doesn't work anymore. And I don't know if that story ever did, but here we are. And 
facing the atrocities that have come creates such a well of trauma and grief that I think we're just now learning to, to even begin to tap the edges of it and understand how much we hold and actually how much distraction we've created and how much like armor we've piled on our incredibly vast hearts to keep ourselves sort of separate from it and just safe enough to stay in a bubble. Those bubbles are bursting everywhere. And what I think you have is both the potential for the most compassion possible as people do their grief work as you really go in and just be with the feelings that overwhelm and have better tools and practices for instead of projecting that out and destroying something because you feel like you're being destroyed like surrendering to the process of really actually healing of facing things that are very difficult to look at and um, taking responsibility for saying well that's what I I was born into it I'm embedded in a culture and in a paradigm that I didn't choose, that now I have to face the consequences of choices that weren't mine to make and decide what to do with it because I'll be the ancestors for the next generations coming. And they're going to look to me and say, when the world was burning, what did you do? Mm. You know, did you keep planting trees? You know, did you learn how to wield well? You know, your resources, did you give up on us? Did you give up on your future and the potential for other generations to learn from the tragedies that we've created as humanity? Did you wisen up and face that so you don't keep handing trauma down to the next generation and next generation? Did you become conscious? And yeah, like on a, we can go there in the woo spiritual way, but I think it's now past the fact that this is just a new age idea and humanity is really getting faced with, hey, Choices were made, whether you made them or not, and you're the one who gets to decide what to do about that. And are we going to be response-able and responsive and learn how to navigate our trauma to not keep perpetuating trauma on other people? Do we decide that it ends with us and decide to do the grueling work of like getting into the muck of that and transforming lead into gold, like actually becoming you know, more capable and more conscious and hopefully another generation of humans you know, has less they have to wade through of that density that you didn't pass them on. You're going to give them other things. You know, every generation has to navigate through those things, but you didn't hand them this ancestral burden and go, well, you're going to be here 50 years longer than me. So it's on you now. Like it takes that level of like, where does the trauma end? And I think we're, we're at that precipice and getting confronted by that. And yeah, we need to help each other and we need better tools and we need better practices and we need a better dialogue that, that, I don't want to say normalizes, but allows for the hiding, the like, the like glossy image of like (sighs) perfection of like this idea we cast versus who we really are, like radical authenticity that has such self-reflection, humility and ownership that our heart opens in that space. And in the open heart, that's where I believe we're going to actually see each other and feel each other and begin to like confront and face our choices and then find empowerment. I don't think it's just to like sit as a mushy pile of like goo that can't, that can't function anymore. I think you kind of have to get to the goo state, you know, in order (laughs) like a, like a caterpillar to, to have the goo, the like imaginal cell of, you knows this new shape you can take, but when you're in the goo, you're just in it. And yet I do believe that life perseveres and finds a way and you become this new creature and you strengthen your wings and you press against that cocoon. And one day you are something else. And I believe it because it's my life process. I believe it because I come from trauma and I come from difficult roots and have had to do my own 
navigating these places. And I'm not saying I'm there, but being on the path, I've also seen grace. I've seen the liberation that comes from facing these shadows and getting into that trauma and like facing grief. And I've seen and been, my gosh, gratefully witnessed to other cultures who have much better (laughs) relationship with grief as a teacher and a healer and have much better cultural customs that embrace and allow and encourage grief as an important process for the health of the health and well-being of yourself and the community that I realize we have a stigma that is we're holding so tightly to the stigma of strength and resilience and independence that as that starts crumbling you realize that we are vulnerable interdependence is non-negotiable and that actually your heart is liberated when you finally surrender to just feeling all your feels and being a feeling being you can actually connect again then with life you can connect with the divine you can connect with your fellow humans because your armor isn't so rigid because you're afraid you'll crumble it's like go ahead and crumble go ahead and just like become goo lose your shit you know and do it in a way that doesn't destroy anything else and hopefully not yourself and die to it and be reborn because that's that's regeneration of life life showing us that's what happens something dies and something else is born but we're terrified to die we're just terrified to let go of old parts of ourselves, and yet life shows us again and again something else renews something else will be born you know yeah it's a i have been feeling this what uh you know stan groff in his discussion of the perinatal matrices you know they're like the nodes of the birth process where you can experience Mm -hmm. trauma you know Mm -hmm. we're like his argument that most of us have some form of birth trauma in this society it seems believable and he he has correlated each of these four stages with the archetype of one of the the greek pantheon you know, or it's like the Roman pantheon because we've named the planets after them. And so he talks about perinatal matrix. One is like the oceanic unity. Two is when things are starting to squeeze. Three is when you're moving through the canal. And four is when you emerge into this new strange place. And it's like, it feels like we're at like two and a half right now. And that's, that's associated with the uh, archetype of Saturn, the ris- the constriction, you know, the the pressure, the crushing seriousness of it, the suffocation, and then three, which is uh, Uranus, which is the you know the revolutionary explosive. I think that's the order that they they go. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's very much alive mm-hmm. for me right now. The sense that I don't know that I've ever experienced it the way that I experience it now, where I look around externally and everything around looks like I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. (laughs) I look around and I'm like, this is it. This is like, I've got a room of my own. I'm making a living with my art. I finally like all these little minor goals and victories have been achieved. And yet I've never felt for, I'd say the last year or so, Mm -hmm. this insane, like crushing pressure like you're at the bottom of the ocean like you have to go now you have to leave and i'm sitting here going okay but i can uh i can take this like suitcase full of stuff right it's like no nothing fits in the coffin you nothing comes with you oh but you know but my relationship of third no no none of that no but what but my career but no you know and it's just it's like uh fold your arms over your chest and just like go down the chute. You've got a couple of years on me and just a few. I mean, we're in, this, we're in the same generation, right? Yeah. But, but you uh, have 
as we were talking about right before this, you have been through this before. You, you know, you arrived at a point in your life where by sort of whatever enculturated metrics, you'd sort of gotten to this place mm. and then it wasn't serving you anymore and you had to move from that. So I'm curious what from your personal experience you can offer in terms mm. of this process of grieving the person you were and making room <laughs> for the person that you will be. Oh, it's so rich. It's so rich. Well, okay, so I'm going to be 40 in a few days, <laughs> which is just like so awesome to feel so like, God, I'm a baby. What the hell do I know? I've got this like whole long, like still this long journey ahead, you know, God's willing if I'm lucky. <laughs> But have had a journey, have had enough of a journey that, yeah, there is, man, I love being almost 40. I, I would not go back to my 20s. Not, and there's people like, oh, I wish I could go back. I'm like, I would not go back. I have been through the gauntlet of what I realize now was some sort of like life karma to actually learn what it is to be regenerative by being an iterative person, meaning the, the number of iterations of myself, who my friends mm. are, where I live, what I'm experiencing, how I perceive myself, what I do for work, my relationships. I have been through so many iterations. Some people who are like, oh, I still have childhood friends. I'm like, wow, that's how? so yeah how do you have that like um even friends from a few years ago who I love and adore but like it just seems like my life is constantly evolving and transforming and changing and that I I in 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 my you know working towards a consciousness you know which I which I ascribe to in this life I've like gone okay this is my life like how do I embrace that if I took on this idea that I would kind of engage this word regenerative that I was going to have to learn what that actually means to die and be reborn and die and be reborn and be stripped away of everything you've created and built and start again. And so I laugh because at 40, I had no idea at this point after 14 years of a 14 year old daughter that I would be giving birth again, which basically strips away everything I had been working on, the momentum I'd built, where I was headed, where I thought I was going, all just got put into the cauldron. Um, when I found out I was pregnant and in preparation for this birth, it's like, yeah, well, that life doesn't exist anymore because you you are required now to have a new path for a while. New things will come and and um, you know other things will grow, but the life that you had ends, and you have to surrender and die to that in order to give space for this very different reality of day to day caretaking of an infant, right? And, it, and so, in the most real way possible, right now, I'm in another version. You know, certainly not my first, and I know it won't be my last, but another version of really having to do the work to, it was a grieving process to let go of the life I had built. It was a grieving process. It, to, to, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm having a baby. It was like, holy shit, I have to like, I have to die again in order to give birth, literally and emotionally and spiritually. And you'd think that it gets easier over time. And in some ways it does, but in some ways it doesn't, it gets more impactful because mm -hmm. you know enough and have more consciousness that it's not this sort of blissful or even this naivety. It's like, you know, what's happening to you. You know that if you engage it, it will grow you in a new capacity and you know you have attachments that are going to be asked to be let go and you know that that's going to be confronting for you and you just got to pull up your you know your big kid pants and do it because 
Yeah, because you can and because you know the outcome, you know that on the other side of all of this, going through this and not avoiding it and facing it and having all the feels and having the grief process is going to make you a more grace-filled, wise being. And maybe not everyone values that, Michael, but I think ultimately <laughs> we're here to progress. Like, I, I don't think we're like, you know, I just want to stay adolescent forever. Maybe we do. Maybe actually that's the problem is too many people are like, I just want to hold on to this version of myself. But I believe that it's because we don't have proper rites of passage in this culture. Mm. I believe in Western culture, we don't have the intactness of being held from cradle to grave in the continuity of belonging to the web of life that at each interval of what is the naturally occurring thing happening all the time in the universe, constantly ending and beginning, recycling, building, you know, new out of the compost, planting new seeds, that is regenerative. And our resistance, our like resistance actually creates more trauma than our learning to surrender. And I do believe it's because we don't have that rite of passage that is a, a, a purposeful ritualistic way to engage the eminent and inevitable changes. And to do that with some semblance of a consciousness that as you grow deeper and deeper on your path, you gain more and more tools, capacity and access versus bumbling your way through it or stumbling your way through it or kind of conjuring external crises as the moment to redefine yourself instead of consciously engaging those moments of redefinition and empowering yourself by them and going through the, the dark night of the soul and letting your ego be stripped and your life be transformed and knowing that it, it's because you now have new potential that you would not have had before. And so it's this like kind of golden light at the end of the tunnel, this carrot that dangles in front of you that you'd like, if you just stay in trust that on the other side of whatever you're going through, you will become a greater version of yourself. I think that we get terrified and we get stagnant and we avoid it and we don't have elders who are like, yeah, well, comfort or not, it's time to initiate. It's time mm. to move forward. And then a community of people because initiation and rites of passage requires witness. It's not just enough. It's a very personal internal journey. You have to be the one to go through the vision quest and the confronting life and death and your own mortality and your own limitation and your own ego and your own divinity right? Your own like vast, powerful potential. Yeah, let's not forget the, the good thing. parts that we, re we oh, yeah, reject no, for being probably, too good. No, I think we're often, I think we're often avoiding the fact that we are so fucking powerful and terrified of that power. And so without, you know, it's one thing to go through it on your own, but then once you go through it on your own, you reemerge. And what's waiting there, if we're intact, is the village and the community of ones who say, we see you, we acknowledge you, you have a new name. You know, you have a new gift. We're going to hold you here now. And when we don't have that, we keep sliding back to the old version of ourselves because the mirror isn't reflecting or holding this new version. And so it mm. takes a community to truly initiate. Even though you can go through journeys, you can only go so far without having the mirror to reflect back that, yes, indeed, you've changed and transformed. And it's this, it's this very important process. It's actually like requires that we have other to help grow ourselves, and we have to do it alone. We cannot have another do it for us. So when you get into this stuff, I'm just like, oh, it's so genius. You know, I feel like I've taken on that as a life path of wanting to understand 
how do we transform? And if I'm going to talk about it ever outward to anyone else, sure, shit, I better be living it. I better be embodying it and it better be authentic. And actually, the older I get, the more that I realize I've actually gotten quieter these last few years. You'll see yeah. a lot less of me publicly. You'll see a lot less of my posts on Facebook because that was part of my humbling and journey was to be like, okay, you know, probably around 37, 38, it was like, okay. You know, that, that youthful, like, I've got these, this, you know, this experience to share and these, you know, this wisdom that's coming through and I'm going to share it. That was perfect. It was exactly what I should have been doing in the time of coming up in my leadership and like sharing my gifts. And then there was this incredibly deep humbling process of, of learning to be the mentor. I'm sitting on a different place in the wheel at almost 40 and as becoming a mother again. And now it's about how am I embodying and living the things that I'm saying? And and so I just got my butt kicked going through these processes that maybe one day, if I'm lucky, I will get to be an elder to other people and sit and hold the space of presence that says, I do understand what you're going through because I've been there and I can hold witness as you find your way. Not I can fix it for you or I can help you avoid it. I can actually just hold the presence that you will make it through, others have gone before you, and that we're here to support you, and that you're going to have to be the one to do it. So buck up. Nobody, nobody was there for me at the other end of that. I think a lot of us don't have our elders. No one showed us how to initiate. Who's gone further than us? Who's gone deeper than we've gone? And and rarely do I find someone I feel like, oh, thank God. Okay, so someone's gone further than this. I feel like we're a bunch of peers trying to figure out how to co-parent our own inner child and co-parent each other, and we're bumbling and we're learning. But I, I feel like I'm committed to this path because I want to become an elder who can hold that space of rites of passage for other ones to try to learn how to navigate better than I had the access to through this transformation that we're in. And you just love that I, it's so fun talking with you now that I'm pregnant and bringing up the birth metaphor because you really name like we are at that like crunch point and you have no reference at that time. You're in the womb. It's comfortable. It's warm. You're just floating around. You have no reference for what's going to happen. And I do think there's trauma in that transition. <laughs> and and I do think there is like, yeah, there's like, you're like, what's happening? It feels like the most traumatic thing ever. And then you're born. And and whether that's a good thing or not, here you are, <laughs> whole new life. You know, whether you're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I'm going back. You know, I just acknowledge that, yeah, we are in that time where it's we have to be guided by something besides our own logic and our own mental understanding of what's happening. We cannot rely on our brain or our past experience to guide us towards what we haven't yet experienced. And it's unfathomable. We have to just follow the natural course of what's happening and find the resilience. The baby has to like move and undulate and the mama has to like work. And it's this tandem experience of the birth process to like bring that new life into its new becoming. So I think we have to deepen into our trust that this has been happening for a very long time and somehow life continues to regenerate itself and we aren't separate from that. And if we humble ourselves, we might be able to soften and become pliable enough to find our way through this pressure point and and what is happening is inevitable. You cannot stop it. You can't be like, I take it back. I don't want to go. Like, it's what's happening. 
how do you embrace it? How do you get on board with this rite of passage that we're having and leverage it to make the most mighty moves you can, you know? Yeah, it seems like the the biggest challenge when there's no one there to guide you through it. And I've actually, this metaphor of birth, I think I've used a lot. I I remember it occurred to me a few years ago that the human species is like a, a barefoot pregnant 12 year old (laughs) who like woke up on a, like shipwrecked on a desert (laughs) Island and has no one there to explain to her what's happening to her body. And it's like, and, and I feel that like with without this role, without the elder, there yeah. to say, oh, dude, I I went through exactly this thing. Yeah. Then it becomes really difficult to know where the the line is, where the turning point is, or the break point, mm-hmm. and how to call it a game. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like I look around, and it's it's like you said, you know, it's just we without a sense of adult wisdom cultivation, adult psychological development. Then it's like, okay, well, it, you know, you you damaged your brain from drinking to excess in college. Mm-hmm. You're emotionally frozen at 18, mm-hmm. but we're going to regard you as every bit the adult that we would regard, you know, somebody who has cultivated their wisdom for intentionally for their entire mm-hmm. life, and now they're the same age, but they're like 40 years ahead of you in their saging. Mm. You know, to use a, a Rabbi uh, Zalman Z- Schachter, mm-hmm. Zalman Shalomi, I can't see his name. But yeah, he, that was his thing, saging, not just aging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so so it, it seems as though, in the sense that like a few years ago when I saw Victor Wooten give a, a masterclass on bass, and he said that the, the best groove is when you've locked eyes with this imaginary drummer, and you visualize the drummer of your dreams and mm-hmm. then you just jam with him in your mind. And we, we watched as volunteers in this class came up and went from having a, a you know, a mediocre groove to having an amazing groove mm-hmm. simply by imagining that elder there. And, mm-hmm. and so I feel like, you know, in lieu of a community of elders that I have regular communication with. And I mean, th- that said, I'm luckier than most, you know, I mean, recognizing this problem is the first step towards solving it to reaching mm-hmm. out to people and finding a community and, you know, thus exalting people who are not given by this culture mm-hmm. a vehicle or a venue to be an elder which is mm-hmm. the other half of this problem is you know the people just sort of aging out of relevance and not being offered this right. opportunity to step up and be the crone or the wizard or whatever that's right um, mm-hmm. but it seems like a, a large part of what this has been for me is trying to imagine that inner elder like the inner mm-hmm. drummer and just trying yeah. to play off of that beat and saying, okay, what would, if I were a wise old man, what would I tell myself here? You know, if, mm-hmm. if I were looking back on this from 50 years from now, but that is, that is an emotionally, or that, that's an energetically exhausting exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of brain glucose to like model a better you than exists. <laughs> but, 
Well, first of all, you did bring up getting older does not mean becoming an elder or being wiser. And and we do have a disconnection of sort of irrelevance, um, sadly, that comes not in all cultures, but certainly in Western culture. There's sort of a like, well, you're past your age of being able to contribute to industry. And so therefore, you're kind of like, you know, overripe fruit. And, you know, you're kind of like, you're kind of discarded. And I think that that is a tragedy. And I think that we're, we're missing um, a lot of the capacity for, for experience and wisdom being passed down because people stop having value in our culture. And, and it's complex. And I don't mean to go there because I understand that it's not always like for some people, it's like, we don't, how do we take care of each other? We're just, our, our society isn't set up to be truly in the village. That's why we're having to transform it. But what I do want to say is that in that, um, you know, the humans, um, you know, who, who are started learning what it means to be an elder in that sage-like way, right, to sage, saging instead of aging. Um, the two things that I look to, besides my own inner, like, projection of, <laughs> like, what kind of wisdom I would give myself at age 80 to my 40-year-old self or 40 to my 20-year-old self, um, is that nature is older than us. And actually has a lot to teach us if we're willing to listen and learn. And that actually, it's like, when we look at that scale, it's humbling how, like, we're so small and minute. As long as humans have been here and are trying to imagine that scale of all the humans that live in history, we are so brand new compared to this, this earth. And even if, you know, not to go too well uh, but like the cosmos, like the vast scale of that is where I look to, to say that's gone further than me. Where can I learn the wisdom? Where can I learn to watch the signs and, um, and understand what the tree has to teach me and the water has to teach me and the mountain has to teach me? How do I, how do I, um, sort of get out of the, the human centric thinking of wisdom and start connecting to the intelligence of the planet, to plants and to animals? How do I get out of this idea that we are somehow an authority on anything instead of these tiny little babies, neophytes figuring it out? You know, that arrogance, it's like getting over the arrogance that we have anything that we know and instead really looking to nature and saying, teach me. Like, how do, you know, how do bee colonies operate and how do tree roots send, you know, water resources through mycelial webs that, that redistribute so that the whole forest is flourishing? Because if part of the forest is down, then it impacts the other part of the forest. There's intelligence there that when we pay attention to is showing us how to live on the planet in that way. And those are, those are who I've always considered my elders and, and on a human scale, I think that we can look to older and indigenous cultures. I was talking again about this last night in the the um, module around intergenerational bridge building, and this idea that it's not only about connecting elders with babies on a human scale intergenerationally, it's also about the older cultures who learn their lessons from nature, who have gone further than us, who've been here a whole lot longer, and who remember a time where things weren't the way they are now with such dis-ease, separation, and disconnection, and have a sacred contract with the earth and never saw themselves as separate from the earth, but they were woven into the family of things. So not saying we can ever go back to times that that was more intact, but how do we bring the lesson of that forward in a new, innovative, modern time that has the complexities that we have to face and the challenges we have? It is not too late to grow the fuck up. 
It's really not like, it's not like, well, you just, it's a runaway horse. You know, it's, it's a, it's a barreling train into a brick wall when there's actually forks in the road that if you just take it at the right time, you can redirect this idea that we're just going to like plunge ourselves into full destruction. There's wisdom available to us. There's those intelligences that are beyond our own that we can look to, but first we have to accept ourselves where we are in the wheel of things. We have to first confront and face where we are on the cycle, you know, both personally and in our age range and also culturally. And then also as neophytes on a very old planet, who's been figuring out how to have very distinct, diverse, separate organisms somehow relatively symbiotically and in balance, like cohabitating and coexisting. So I feel like, yeah, it's, um, it's it's a tragedy that there is uh, for a lot of us. Not everybody. I want to be thoughtful too. If I'm speaking from a very limited perspective and a privileged perspective, I want to acknowledge there's many intact cultures and intergenerational connection, and um, and those of us who don't have that in our like jealous two year old temper tantrums have like taken other people's toys and been like you can't have it either. If I can't have it, you can't have it. Um, you know, in our, in our big rage against our grief, against not having intactness of village and home and belonging in place and culture. So I feel like I want to acknowledge it does exist, but for a lot of us, it doesn't. For a lot of us, we have no, um, no model for what we're trying to endeavor and the stakes couldn't be higher. And it's at such a transformative time where it's unprecedented what, what the generation on this planet is, is navigating. It's never been before. Other tragedies, like I do a lot of, my partner does a lot of um, reading about history. And so then I, by default, get to learn about like the Silk Roads and like colonization and the Romans and the Syrians. And like, it's not like this is new, but the level and scale of our own capacity to destroy ourselves has never been faced by any human generation at the level of which it is now. And so the, um, the, um, shaking up of you have to stop what you're doing. It's not working. It's time for the illusion to end. You have to face and confront what you're doing is not working. You're killing yourself. Not even even necessarily the planet, we're killing a lot of precious species, the planet will regenerate. But I don't know that we get to stay if we don't figure out how to stay in balance and, and be able to care for an ecosystem that's a precious balance for our particular species to be able to live here. Microbes will still be here. They've been here forever anyway. They don't care. They'll just adapt. If we don't adapt, then we might um, change the conditions on the planet that allow us to continue to flourish. And so it's not to like go to the doom and gloom space, but it's to like, what is it going to take to shake us up enough to listen to what nature is trying to teach us about how to be here and live in a symbiotic way? That's our grandma. Grandma is like, okay, enough little kid spank on the butt. Like you're not listening, sit down. It's time for your lessons. And, and we are seeing that in our global climate and our, in our political climate, we're seeing it. We're seeing that agitation that I believe is also a tool and it's for our benefit. And it's a wake up because it's an imperative time, but not because it's hopeless and not because it's already done and not because it's not possible, but because this is that time to say birth is happening and it's time to go through this journey. And and we can kick and scream all you want, but this is what's happening. And I, I have a strong belief that that is that grandmother energy of something older than us helping us to 
transform, helping us to go through a rite of passage. I think there's an intelligence, Michael, available to us right now. Again, not putting my spiritual beliefs on anyone else, but the the intelligence of life that animates all of us, the, the in- intricacy of order and the components of the elemental particles that created this diverse like miracle is too unfathomably like orchestrated to be random it's it's the we have to honor there is some intelligence at work and if we can just get over our arrogance enough to say maybe we don't know but we can see we can accept there is an intelligence at work i'm a part of that intelligence though it's not separate from me so how do i align with that intelligence and participate in what's happening right now and and yeah so for me i feel like that's what i've used as my tool to go further than myself. That's what I've leaned into when I'm like, I don't know the way. And somehow, and I'll say this, somehow I've muddled my way through and I'm not 20 anymore. Somehow I'm 40. And so it can be very much like you can live this experience of going, oh, I did that. I let go. I surrendered. I died. I transformed. I came through. You know, now I'm something else and then I'll be something else. There's like getting on board with the way that life works instead of trying to resist it or conquer it. It's like get on board with the way life works. And actually there is a grace available to us. There is a beauty that's coming from the tragedy. There is the opportunity and potential to rebuild and reimagine things that felt like they were stagnant and locked down. And that right now we have the potential to really radically transform. It's all right here. The re-evolution revolution is now and it's all possible, but we have to decide. We have to be the ones to grow and grow up right now and say like, okay, yeah, like I'll get on board with what's happening. And and I have compassion in my own self and with you and with our community and with greater humanity uh, for the part of us that struggles with that, for the part of us that that is like holding on and is like, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to change. I don't want to let go. I'm comfortable here. And I have like empathy like a grandmother would or mother. It's like, I know it's really hard and it's what's happening. So I want to be a 50 foot long caterpillar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my friend, I think you're in the, I think you're in the gestational goose state. Let's die. It's the liminal. I well, think caterpillar is done for you, friend, but I think that butterfly is on its way. So that's, Me? yeah, everything you're saying is just so, so potent. We're coming up on the hour and yeah. I do have one more question for you and then, and then we can kind of wrap this. But I, my question is, do you see any way other than simply surrendering to that transcendent yet imminent intelligence of reconciling the need to move on with the need to anchor ourselves more deeply in the past in order to make that push, you know, like talking about Uh connecting to nature, the wisdom of the land, the wisdom of ancient cultures, finding a a depth of balance in that continuity. You know, I tend as, as a white, European American descendant person to mm-hmm. reach all the way back into the prehistoric for my anchoring because I don't have a strong sense of cultural continuity. And I find mm-hmm. that continuity in like n- natural history and ge- evolutionary processes. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, it, but it seems like if I am to regard 
our situation as anything other than the end of the fucking world, <laughs> then I have to look back at all the times that it's been the end That's of right. the fucking world before. Right. Yeah. And, and so I guess, like, how do you understand that resolution of paradox in that releasing the past, moving on from it, requires an active engagement of the past, mm-hmm. requires... And, you know, that we obviously we have to step back a little bit in order to behold it, in order to Mm -hmm. embrace it or reinterpret. But I don't know. I mean, how do you Mm -hmm. how do you see that that motion? I have this feeling like first we have to get out of the mental state that says we're going to understand the paradox and drop into become right. the paradox. <laughs> yeah, like become the paradox. Like the answer is I don't fully understand. And yet when I just simply uh, allow, then uh, somehow it makes sense to some part of me uh, that doesn't quite understand and can never reconcile the paradox of all of the above. One of my favorite words ever and I have a lot of favorite words friend clearly like you and I both we like love words I'm like a word of fight is and because the word and to me changes the negation and creates inclusion of this and this this and this that it, it allows for um, polarity to exist and still be connected and relevant to itself and so I feel like the question you're asking for me is, yeah, like that word continuity is a really important one. I feel like instead of discarding everything of the past, it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There's no such thing as a brand new fresh beginning that isn't in context or related to that which has been. And yet we cannot go into uncharted territory trying to use a map from that which we've already mapped, thinking that that's somehow going to guide us into that which we've never experienced before. So the both and is, is that kind of intergenerational concept of what is the wisdom that we can gather from the past. It's not just death that has no, that just goes void. It's death as the accumulation of a certain kind of experience or perspective. And then it's that in that transition, it's that comes along, it's include and transcend. It's include the wisdom and the cycles and the patterns in the history of nature. It's refer back to and know and understand how we got to where we are. It's take the time to value and honor the wisdom of the past, value your elders, value older culture, you know, value and understand and see that they're is a continuity that you're connected to and that we're not limited by it and that looking only to the past will not get us into our future. But if we avoid looking at our past, our future is going to be riddled with the same mistakes. So this is a huge in the body of work I do with Reinhabiting the Village. It is about how do we take ancient wisdom and understanding at this time that this is this, like we talked about, apex and culmination of the human species. And how do we begin to sift through and integrate and go, okay, that was crap. That was crap. That didn't work. Yeah, bad idea, really bad idea. And also go, ooh, but like good idea. And wow, what was that? And and isn't that amazing that we learned that? That we went from, you know, not knowing which berries to eat to like, oh my God, just all the human innovation. I'm not against human innovation. And I'm not actually like, quote unquote, like against the system we've created. I'm just for the fact that it's time to recreate 
the system that we have and take the best of what we've created and really activate the potential we have to recreate, transform with a regenerative lens and perspective that thinks of the future, future generations and create with that mindset that is, is holding the spectrum of the past and the future. You know, that can actually like be great enough in its perspective to honor and understand the past and reconcile the past and take ownership of the past and stop perpetuating past mistakes and take the best and brightest of the past triumphs and now begin to sort of um, compost the bullshit, compost what doesn't work and let it be fertile soil for new seeds, for true regeneration, for something new that hasn't been created yet, for something we haven't yet experienced. And I think it's that, quite frankly, I just keep coming back, it's the fear of death. It's truly like this incredible, powerful, like fear of the end of things, I think, that keeps us limited by holding on only to the past and repeating and repeating and repeating instead of letting the oros boros of the ending and the beginning have that liminal pause, that place where the mouth of the serpent is about to reach the tail, but there is a space in between. It's not just an infinite circle that just keeps hitting its head against the own tail, right? Its own like repeating pattern. It is spirals of time and spirals of repeating concepts and patterns. But each time, if you pause in the liminal and take the deep breath to assimilate what the last cycle just taught, what that ending was for, what you can culminate and gather as wisdom and jewels from that experience. When you take that new bite, it actually nourishes this new octave of understanding and potential. And so we can spiral, we can evolve, we can grow past our own limitations, we can grow past the previous generation's limitations. And in fact, we should be, and our elders should want us to. I want my children to far surpass me. I want them to go further than I have, to see my mistakes and failings, and to accept that I was human and know that they're human too and they're going to fail, but that they can also triumph and, and, and go further than me. I never want to limit them to being like under me. And that's always been, always been the way of my motherhood has been like, go further. How do I help you go further? And that's to me that part of the like elder in training, learning to say, I want generations beyond me to go further than we've ever gone. So what do I need to do now to sort of share whatever wisdom is possible to give them the best opportunity to take that wisdom and then do something more with it. And so I feel like that's the paradox we're in is it's time to heal and forgive and reconcile the past. It's time to face it and look at it and do a little accounting, sit in the liminal, you know, before this new beginning and actually integrate like, wow, the amazingness and the tragedy of the human journey thus far in order to have enough wisdom and fuel, the compost, to plant some new fucking seeds, to realize we have uncharted territory and, and we have all the capacity, we have all the intelligence, all the resources. Are we wielding it? You know, are we wielding it for the sake of benefit for all of life? Are we wielding it as stewards who are growing into the sage? And that was a narrative that I started to be like, oh, the hero's journey is ending. And so the next archetype that we have to collectively begin to engage is the sage, right? And I had this totally, it came at a totally humbling time of my own leadership and my own journey with all of this, where I got my butt kicked and I was back down on the ground at the bottom rung, like a turtle with my legs up going, oh, I can't roll over. You know, and I thought I was in the top of something that actually was like, yeah, you're at the top just long enough to flip and now you're at the bottom of the next level of your growth. And I was like, oh my God, it's not the sage yet. We have an epoch to go through of the steward. 
before mm. we get to the sage, before we get to that mystic of the potential of humans to like really become this benevolent, incredibly intelligent being that I believe we are. I think our DNA is encoded with it, but we're not, we're not living it right now. I feel like it's all perfect in how we had to go through a certain kind of journey. And now here we are. And I believe the journey we're on is the one of the steward is the one who says it's time to humble yourself, to learn new skills, to rebuild, to regenerate, to restore, to renew. It's the time of creating something that is tangible of this living earth that will allow for the inhabitants of the future earth to be able to, to, to live with the blessing that we do of clean air and clean water and, and all these natural resources and an abundant fertile earth. That's just like always giving to us for the next generations to have that it's time to be stewards of that potential. And I think that's the the clarion call that's sort of arriving. And then maybe after an epoch of that, when we learn how to get over our own limitation, you know, on our own, tragedy and our own brilliance and really just get on board with what is happening and embrace and surrender and accept that this is an evolutionary process. Yeah, I, I feel like there, there is a potential, potential, that we will one day find ourselves being the sage. But that's not now. Right now we have some things to learn. We, we need to be the students and we need to be the builders and we need to be, you know, the mentors to the ones coming. And, um, you know, we need to be... <laughs> Oh man, we need to be the ones who listen, you know, to our elder who is the earth trying to tell us like, this is how you can live on this planet. And right now you blow on it and face that, you know, but it is a paradox, Michael. Oh my gosh. It's, um, it's beyond also not only one human or one human's lifetime, it is all of us and it's multiple generations. And so, um, I will say that that one of the, the most humbling things I've learned and that has really been my guidepost, especially this last two years, and especially as I'm on the precipice of this birth of my babe, is will you still show up for that which you may never see the outcome of? Mm. Would you still show up and do your best and give your most when you may not see the outcome of your efforts? Would you plant trees that you may never eat the fruit of? And... Um, and I actually planted trees last year on a farm that I loved, but somehow knew it wasn't going to stay. And I'm like so ready to like farm friend, like deeply root down in place that it was like, I know I'm not going to stay here and I want to be planting these trees that I'm going to eat the fruit of, you know, and I had this battle with putting hundreds of dollars and hours of time into to putting these fruit trees in the ground on this farm that I was living at when I was like, I know I'm not staying. And it was such a, I actually will credit my partner who's a regenerative farmer and, and kind of a badass when it comes to his commitment to earth practices. And he was like, you plant trees because you can plant trees. It's not, it isn't always about getting what you want out of it. It's, it's, you can plant trees that then generations will have fruit. We planted a hundred fruit trees that one day will be a corridor of food for someone. Do you do that? Even if you don't see the outcome, do you sweat and dig and, and, you know, buy the tree and put it in and tend it and water it and make sure it has good soil? Do you do that because you know that one day there's going to be a fruit tree there and that you've put your energy into something that lives beyond you? That it's changing me to be like, yeah, I'm okay with the fact that in this lifetime, I may not see the outcome of my efforts, but I'm going to show the fuck up. I'm going to do everything I know how in my tiny, insignificant little way that might make a ripple of positivity and benefit and potential not only for my children, but for yours. 
and for all the children that are here to, you know, potentially have someone who said, I was thinking about you when I made my choice today. I was thinking about you when I decided where to put my energy or my money or my time or my love. I was thinking about you and I may fail you, but I haven't failed myself because I've given everything I can to that potential for future. And, and that, that to me is the beginning of the steward starting to wake up in my own my own heart and certainly why if I have a chance to yammer on at people I tend to bring that as the thing I would love most to talk about mm. is you know what are we doing now that's about the ones that are still yet to come not ignoring our own self in that story not saying you know selflessly give to the point where you have nothing left to give and we're not taking care of ourselves be part of the story but like let the story breathe longer than you breathe you know let the story be something that has like so much further to go and that your chapter make it the most glorious chapter the most you know tragically poetically beautiful authentic chapter you can and then look forward to reading the chapters that will come beyond you and the characters who exist after you instead of holding on to the need to be the one triumphant at the end be the one who played the part you played towards something greater than any one of us. And I think that's the mentality shift of steward. Well, that's how I navigate the paradox. (laughs) I can always count on you to knock it (laughs) well over the fence. (laughs) And I'm I'm super (laughs) glad that, that you agreed to this conversation. Uh, I'm to chat with you today. I want to give you a minute to plug your, your awesome. Oh yeah projects all of them they're all highly recommended and i've i've watched your work just totally flower over the last few years and want to send as many people into your lagoon of learning as possible so where where do we send them yeah, well, one kind of immediate thing coming up is that um, Lucid University at Lucidity Festival, who's starting its next year story arc, uh, The Rising Dawn, it's a whole new chapter of archetypes to play out. We are doing the course week this year, although it's happening literally at the time that I'm going to be in birth. So I mama bared this journey with some other allies to create this experience called the course week that happens the week before the festival. And it's this amazing interactive immersive learning experience with these tracks of learning is an awesome master teachers, a really transformative experience for our students. And this will be the first year that I'm not there, but I'm still behind the scenes helping to craft and coordinate everything so that it happens in a good way. I would love for people to know about Lucid University, um, not only for the course week that happens with um, Lucidity Festival, but year round work that we're doing to bring educational experiences um, to our community and provide a platform for people to really engage some of these, um, you know, bodies of, of, of exploration, um, that maybe they wouldn't have in other environments. So we will be doing programming over this next year and, um, you can go to the lucidity community page to find out more. Um, there's a website, um, platform that talks about what we do. So lucidity and lucid university and the course week are one thing. And the other thing is we're actually, in the middle of our first online live interactive Reinhabiting the Village course module, we have eight classes. We have 50 cohorts literally from around the world, which has been so much fun. They're of all generations. We have younger people all the way up to people in their 60s and 70s, multiple different cultural backgrounds. It's been really rad to have this experience of this online cohort and um, something I've wanted to do for a long time. So we will be doing further classes. We're in the middle of the one we're doing now, but um, 
we can have people go to reinhabitingthevillage.com or to the Facebook page for Reinhabiting the Village to check out future classes we're going to be doing. And I see a lot more of that on the horizon. I'm very excited not only for the online courses, which allow people to have some access portal in from wherever they are around the world, but my heart really is excited to do more immersive Reinhabiting the Village building experiences. We're also working with Local Earth right now, which is helping to do some of that. So right now they have their first sort of Local Earth node down in San Diego and they're doing these interactive immersive village building events and Reinhabit the Village is getting on board and I look forward to seeing those grow in the future. So certainly there's so many more things on the horizon, um, but the book is still available as a cultural dialogue and narrative of the voices of the village. And you can go to reinhabitingthevillage.com to see about purchasing it. And then we have the workbook. And I feel like that's really important to share that we produce this workbook around cooperative culture, a cooperative leadership. How do we project manage together? How do we do things together? How do we learn to navigate agreements and decision making and communication? And so there's this toolkit that's available in the Reinhabiting the Village workbook. And I like to remind people that's there. And then we'll see, you know, I'm giving birth in, in less than two months and I'm going to take a nice, quiet deep dive with my new baby and my family. And then I get really excited about the fact that I believe that over this next couple of years, I have a lot more to bring to our community around experiential education and around place-based learning and around deep rites of passage experiences. And so, um, you know, you can always go to jamaicastevens.com to check out what I'm up to because I do a lot of my own private work with people and communities and clients and projects. So, Checking out jamaicastevens.com, I definitely feel like besides the collaborative projects I do, I feel like I have the next version of my sharing that will be coming out in the next um, couple of years on the other side of this transition with this baby. That's wonderful. In closing, the last thing that I would invite is that we often end the show with a message to the future. Mm. And given that you are currently containing the future mm. i guess my thought is we could put mm. a spin on it and and if you have a, a like a a note or a question or whatever that you would like to hand down to your children's children you know to the the unborn kids of your own unborn kid what would that be mm, that is a big question friend because it's so personal right i'm so <laughs> yeah. in that journey don't open the box on the top shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's become what you already are. Like, I feel like to the future ones, I would say we did our best and that we loved you so much. And to the future ones, I would say that it was a mighty time and that we hope that you do grow beyond us and become what you are, become what we inherently already are. I would say that to my future self, like become what you inherently already are and allow yourself to be rewoven into the fabric of existence. Allow yourself to be this divine and this fragile and this humble and this magnificent. Allow yourself to really be what we are designed for. Let the code in your DNA open past the limitation that our generations struggled with. Let yourself be so infinite and imagine the potential and then, and then be patient enough to show up for the daily journey of becoming that potential and becoming what you imagine. So become what you already are. And I would say that to you 
And I would say it to me on behalf of our future selves, become what, become what you already are. And um, that's going to be different for every single person, you know, become what you already are and know and trust that you already have that intrinsic divinity within you. You already have the code. You already have it all become that. Thanks, Jamaica. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod network, along with Third Eye Drops, The Astral Hustle, Synchronicity Podcast, and an oodle of other fascinating programs. I encourage you to go to mindpodnetwork.com and subscribe to them all. And stay tuned, because we have some awesome episodes coming up on Future Fossils, including philosopher Tim Freak, John Danaher on robot sex, IO9's transhumanism and dinosaurs correspondent George Dvorsky, geneticist and electronic music producer David Krantz, digital painter Archon Nair, Douglas Rushkoff, Michael Strong, Lydia Violet, Anthony Ward, and a bunch of other amazing people. So stick around and have a most excellent eon. 